You're listening to the sermon audio from Mill Creek Community Church. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com. The end is near. Throughout history, many people have claimed that the end of the world was coming soon. Some have even been bold enough to claim they knew when the end was coming. I remember back in 1999, some claimed that the end of the world was coming in the year 2000. They believed that when the clock turned over to the year 2000, all the computers would reset and we'd be thrown back into a pre-technological age. Well, there was some concerns what was going to happen to the computers. Some took it to an extreme and started hoarding supplies and even moving into bunkers underground, only to find that on New Year's Eve, life continued on exactly as it did the day before. About 100 years earlier, there was a group that claimed they had figured out when the end of the world was coming. Uh, They're known as the Watchtower Society or the Jehovah's Witnesses. They claimed that Jesus had returned in the late 1800s and was preparing the world for the coming of the end. And that the end would come, according to their founder, Charles Russell, in 1914. Now, of course, 1914 came and went. So they changed their prediction to 1916, which also came and went. So they changed it again, and again, and again. Eight times in total, all coming and going. A little more recent, back in 2012, the Mayan calendar was scheduled to end on December 21st, 2012. Some thought this meant that this ancient society had figured out when the world was ending. You know, rather than just getting tired of recording dates, they were predicting the end of the world. So thinking this is the case, there was thousands of people who flocked to the Mayan temple in Guatemala only to find that the jungles of Guatemala didn't have the accommodations of food and water and bathrooms for this influx of people, and that they would have to continue living in this world because the world continued exactly as it did the day before. Now, as I looked over the internet, there are thousands of these, and I have to admit I had a lot of fun looking these up. Some of them are pretty humorous. But we know, according to Scripture, that nobody knows when the end is coming. I mean, Jesus said very clearly in his Gospels, no one knows when the end is coming. So it's, it's humorous. It's funny. But we also need to be careful. Careful that we don't fall into the thinking that the end doesn't actually matter. I, I think for most of us in our room, our, our tendency isn't to predict when the end times are happening. I think more than often or not, our, our tendency is to live as if the end is some distant date in the future. But I'm here to tell you this morning that the end is near. It is coming. That's the warning that Jesus gives in our scripture this morning. As we'll see in our passage, Jesus takes a roundabout way to talk about the coming of the end and calls us to be watchful. As we dig into our passage this morning, we will see that Jesus is predicting end times and event. And I have to warn you, this is a rather difficult passage. 
Some of the things we might not quite understand. But we have to do the hard work this morning of diving into the original context to see what it meant to the original audience so we can understand why the end matters for us today. In order to do that, we'll be breaking up this sermon into two sections this morning. In section number one, we will be looking at our passage in its entirety to understand what it meant to the original audience. And then in section number two, we will be applying that context to us today to see why the end matters. With that in mind, please open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 21, verses 5 to 38. The first section we'll be jumping into this morning is number one, the end is coming. Now, as we open up our passage in verse 5, we see that Jesus is in the temple uh, doing what he's been doing ever since he came to Jerusalem back in chapter 19. He is teaching anyone who will listen. And as he is teaching, he overhears a couple of people talking about the beauty of the temple. And while we don't have any pictures of what the temple would have looked like, the testimonies of what this thing must have looked like had to have been glorious. I mean, they, they say that stones were, were taken from all over the world. Huge pieces of granite, even weighing thousands of tons, were used to build the temple. It was massive. It was ornate. And its beauty was legendary across all corners of the Roman Empire, which must have made Jesus' next statement rather shocking. Because as he's listening to uh, these people speaking in the temple, he says this in verse 6. He says, as for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. In other words, what Jesus is saying here is that the temple is going to be destroyed. This massive structure, this fortress was going to be thrown down. And it's not just shocking because of its size and its beauty. This was also the center of the Jewish religion. It was of the utmost importance. This is where they worshipped. This is what made Jewish religion. Even to the point that some claimed after the temple fell, Judaism ceased to exist. Jesus' claim was earth-shattering. So shocking to those listening. And so they asked the next logical question. Well, when is this going to happen? And here's where our text gets interesting. See, well, Jesus brings up the point that the temple is going to fall. He's actually never going to talk about the temple again. Instead, Jesus is going to break into a prophetic discourse describing the events surrounding the fall of the temple. As we'll see as we walk through these four events that Jesus describes, that Jesus' concern is not about the temple itself, but the coming of the end. But before we get ahead of ourselves, let's go ahead and dive into these four events that Jesus describes surrounding the fall of the temple. Number one is the rise of false messiahs. Look what he says in verses 8 and 9. It says, See that you are not led astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is at hand. Do not go after them. And when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified, for th these things must first take place, but the end will not be at once. 
So in answer to this question of when the temple was the fall, Jesus says that people will come in his name saying, I am he and the time is at hand. Basically what Jesus is saying is that false messiahs were going to come and claim that they are coming to deliver God's people at the time of the fall of the temple. And that they are bringing about the end. Now, Jesus has brought up this point before that false messiahs will come. In fact, we heard him mention something exactly like the statement back in chapter 17. So why does he bring it up again? A little context may be helpful. Uh, the term Messiah, if you didn't know, is an Old Testament reference to a kingly prophetic figure who is to be sent by God to deliver his people and bring them salvation. Leading up to the first century, it was commonly held by the Jewish people that this Messiah was coming to fight a war. He would come and conquer the Roman powers and overthrow the emperor and take back the promised land. Jewish rabbis even believed and taught that when wars started breaking out in the world, it was a sign that the Messiah was coming and that the war was beginning. I found this rabbinic quote in, in that regard that says, when you, see the king, when you see the kingdoms fighting against one another, look and expect the foot of the Messiah. End quote. So what Jesus is saying is that around the time of the fall of the temple, these false messiahs would rise up, saying they are bringing about the end. But don't believe them, because the end is not coming at once. And the fall of the temple, as much as the Jews would have thought would have signaled the end of the world, was not the coming of the end of the world, because it wasn't going to uh, happen at once. So Jesus' warning here is a call not to be led astray, not to follow after these calls of deliverance, these false claims that salvation had come, because these are false prophets. And that's the first event we see here in our text. Let's move on to the second. The second event is war and persecution. Now here as Jesus moves forward, he's actually moving backwards in chronological events, to the events leading up to the rise of false messiahs. In verses 10 through 19, he says that nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against nation, kingdom. And there will be earthquakes and famines and pestilence and terrors and great signs in heaven. Some pretty scary stuff. Once again, all of these things for the Jewish people would associate it in their mind with the coming of the end, with the rise of the Messiah. But Jesus goes on to explain that these wars and turmoil that are coming are not signs that deliverance is coming immediately. They're actually signs that persecution is coming. He goes on in verse 12 to say this. They will lay hands on you and persecute you, and deliver you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. Jesus is saying here to his followers that things are going to get rough. He's saying rather than deliverance, these wars are going to lead to persecution, even to the point that you will be betrayed by those closest to you, even friends and family members. And some will even be killed for the sake of the gospel. This is the harsh reality of what Jesus says is coming for the first century church. And it's something he wants them to be ready for. 
Now, you, you have to imagine, if you put yourself in their shoes, how tempting it would have been to believe that this persecution and all these wars happening meant that somehow God's plan had failed. Or maybe Jesus wasn't who he said he was. If Jesus had won this great cosmic battle, if he had conquered death, why are his people suffering? They would have been so tempted to believe that somehow they had gotten Jesus wrong. But Jesus is telling his followers that persecution does not mean that God's plan has failed. It means that God is doing exactly what he said he would do. In fact, as Jesus goes on, he begins to describe the fact that when persecution happens, it's going to create this opportunity for you to spread the gospel. Look how he says it in verses 13 to 15. He says, this will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it therefore in your minds not to mediate beforehand on how to answer. For I will give you a mouth in wisdom, which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. What Jesus is describing here is what we see playing out all throughout the book of Acts. When persecution hit the church and scattered them across the world, the gospel went with them. As the world tried to pressure down on these new people, this new religion, the gospel went out into new places, even reaching the halls of kings and of the very emperor who ruled over this nation. Persecution was an opportunity. But Jesus also promised that in this persecution he would be with them. And that he would give them the words to speak when the time came. But more than that, Jesus also promises that in this persecution, if they are faithful and they endure to the end, they would one day receive a life that was imperishable. Even if they lost their lives here on earth. You see, Jesus' warning is that things are going to get rough, but more important, it's a promise. A promise that is embedded with hope. A promise that looks beyond this world, beyond this culture, beyond the things that are happening right in front of us to a time when his church will receive salvation. A time when suffering will be no more. A time when they will receive a life that will never end. And Jesus is saying that they must endure this for the sake of the gospel. But as he moves forward, there's another event coming that Jesus does not want his church to be around for. Something coming on the horizon that Jesus wants his church to flee from. Which brings us to our third event surrounding the fall of the temple this morning. Event number three is the siege of Jerusalem. In verses 20 to 24, Jesus now moves to the final months leading up to the fall of the temple. And he says this in verses 20 to 22. He says, But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by enemies, then know that its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let those who are inside the city depart. And let not those who are out in the country enter it, for these are the days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. Jesus is Next point, his point here in the text, is vital for those to understand who are living in and around Jerusalem. Because he's saying destruction is coming. 
And once again, uh, the things that Jesus is describing, these wars and these armies, would have been a sign to the Jewish people in their heads that the Messiah was coming. So Jesus wants them to understand that when these armies come, when Rome comes to surround the city, do not believe the testimonies around you. And what Jesus describes here in the text of people fleeing into the city of Jerusalem is exactly what happened in 70 AD when the temple fell in Jerusalem. Back in 70 AD, the city of Jerusalem was surrounded by the Roman Empire. And all this was because a few years earlier, in the year 67, the Jewish people led a revolt against the Roman powers. During this revolt, they rebelled against the Roman forces and were able to actually win some massive victories against this enormous world power. In the Jewish mind, this led many people to believe that their salvation was close at hand. They believed because they had won this victory, their Messiah was coming. And that caused many people all across the Judean countryside to flock to the city of Jerusalem. And this gathering would be the city's undoing. Because when Rome came a few years later and surrounded the city, food supplies quickly ran out with a massive influx of people. And starvation quickly set in. Now I won't get into the gory details for you here this morning, but historic accounts describe acts of violence and fighting and murder and even cannibalism as people struggled to survive. It must have been horrific. And all of it because they didn't believe the words of Jesus. Jesus clearly gave them the warning that the city was going to fall, but rather than heeding his advice and believing him, they flocked to Jerusalem. But you know who did believe the words of Jesus? The first century church. When all signs and and all uh, rumors said that Jerusalem was a stronghold, a place to flock to. The Christians understood Jesus' warning and they head for the hills. Rather than hiding behind Jerusalem's walls, they went and hid out in the mountains and were delivered from the coming of the Roman armies. This is an important warning for us today here in the church that we need to believe the words of Jesus. Just like back in the first century, when they heard Jesus' words and they believed him, we need to believe him today. Because just as Jesus' words were true 2,000 years ago, we need to trust and understand that the word of God is a guarantee for us today. And if the word of God calls us to live a certain way, if the word of God calls us to do a certain thing, we need to do it even if the world around us is doing something different. Because God's word is a guarantee. God's promises will always be valid, and we need to believe them. And even though we won't experience the siege of Jerusalem the way they did in the first century, this next event is something that we all here will one day experience, that all the world will one day experience, which brings us to the fourth and final event in our text this morning, the coming of the Son of Man. In his final prophetic dialogue, Jesus now moves to an event happening after the fall of the temple. And he says this in verses uh, 27 to 28. He says, then there will be signs 
and sun and moon and stars, and the earth distress of nations and perplexity, because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. People will be fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world, for the powers of heaven will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with power and great glory. Now when these things happen to take place, straighten up and raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. Now in these few short verses here, there's about a dozen different Old Testament references, and every single one of them is pointing to the coming of the Lord in judgment. Jesus' warning is that what we've seen described over and over and over again is one day going to come to fulfillment when God descends upon the earth and brings the nations into judgment. So what does this mean? Well, first, let me tell you what this doesn't mean. This is not a call for us to go and look through these events described here in Scripture and try to match them up with historical events. It's not a, a call for us to try to piece together what's going on in our world and try to predict when the end is coming. That's not what Jesus is saying at all. But what he is saying is that when you see the world in chaos and turmoil, when you see the world in disaster, know that your salvation is coming. Know that Christ is near. Know that when the world is falling into brokenness, into, into turmoil, know that we can trust and hope in Jesus Amen. because he is coming back. It's a call to see the signs of our world and have hope, not fear. Because what's happening here in these signs is not a list of chronological events. It's a testimony of the reality that happened when Jesus ascended from the dead and triumphed over sin and darkness. When Jesus rose from the dead, he triumphed over the forces of darkness. He shake, shook the heavens. He shattered the world. And we are still feeling that fallout today as the powers of the evil one are grasping for control and authority. When Jesus rose from the dead, he rung the bell, dung, of their destruction. And we can feel those reverberations happening throughout history. But ultimately, this is a call to hope and trust in Jesus. And to see the signs and know that he is coming. And he is coming soon. That's why Jesus goes on to give this parable that you heard read by Michelle just a few minutes earlier. This warning, it happens in the same way as the, when the, the, the trees start to bud in the springtime. You know when the, when the leaves start to come out that summer is close at hand. In the same way when you see these signs, you know that Jesus is coming near. Once again, this is not a call to fear. It's a call to hope and to trust, but also to be careful how you're living your life. That's why Jesus goes on to say this in verses 34 to 36. He says, but watch yourself, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipations and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth, but stay awake at all times. 
praying that you may have the strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the coming of the Son of Man. You see, this is Jesus' point. He is coming back. Despite the appearances in the world, despite the way things look, Jesus is coming back and he is bringing salvation for those who trust him. For those who trust more in Jesus than the concerns of the world. For those who live faithfully. And we need to be ready because the end is near. That's Jesus' point. And even though we won't walk through the events of the fall of the temple the same way they did in the first century, we have the same calling this morning to be ready for the coming of the Son of Man. Which brings us to the second section of our sermon this morning. Section number two, living with the end in mind. In verse 28, Jesus said this, When these things begin to take place, straighten up, raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. Church, if that was the case 2,000 years ago, that is certainly the case today. I think when Jesus says that the end is near, he's not talking about a a timeline or chronologically. He's saying that his proximity is near. It's like Jesus is standing over the face of creation, waiting and watching for his time to come and take us home. In any second, in a snap of a finger, Jesus could return. And church, this isn't a call to go hunker down and hide in the mountains. It's a call to live in the light of the gospel. The truth that Jesus gave us all throughout uh, Scripture, the call to live according to his righteousness. So I want to pull out for you this morning four applications that we see coming in our text that will help us understand how we are to live with the end in mind. Application number one, do not fear. Now, I know saying do not fear kind of sounds like just be taller. (laughs) If I could make myself not fear, I would make myself not fear. But you also need to understand that when the Bible says do not fear, it doesn't just mean toughen up. It doesn't mean just be braver. It means trust in God's sovereignty. It, It means trust that God is in control. Even if the appearances don't seem like it, even if our eyes are telling us one thing, even if our heart is saying us something different, understand that God is in control. God is in control when the nations are at war. God is in control when economies crash. God is in control when unjust leaders rise to power. God is in control when our lives are thrown into chaos. When our employers start pushing unbiblical practices. God is in control when the people around us reject the gospel. And even when the people we love walk out on us. Because we love Jesus. God is in control. God is not just in control in the good times. God is in control in the brokenness of the world. In the chaos of our lives. God is still sovereign in all things. And so we're called to not fear. 
We're called to trust him, knowing that everything that is happening around us is happening exactly as God said it would. We are called not to fear, knowing one day the heavens will open and we will be delivered from the brokenness of the world around us. We are called not to fear. And in this call not to fear, we are also called to endure, which brings us to our second application. Endure to the end. Now, all around us today are people trying to convince us that the message of the Bible is false. Trying to tell us that these are fairy tales, that there's no possible way that a man could rise from the dead. There's pressure all around us trying to tell us to abandon the truths of the gospel. But we got to keep going we got to cling to the rock of our salvation, knowing that Jesus is the only one who can deliver us. In churches, I call you to endurance this morning. I do this knowing that this is a message I need to hear myself. I remember so many times in my, my life that my emotions and my fears were leading me to doubt, to distrust the God of his creation, to wonder if I really had salvation. But I also want to remind you this morning that enduring to the end is not about always having perfect faith. It's about never giving up on Jesus. It's all about always clinging to that hope we have, even when everything inside of us is telling us something different, saying, I'm with Jesus and I am not going anywhere, even though my heart is trying to deceive me, even though the world around me is trying to deceive me. We have to endure the end, knowing that Jesus is our hope and our salvation. And as we cling to this salvation, we are also called to share this salvation with those around us. Which brings us to our third application this morning. Bear witness. Jesus tells his disciple that when the world is thrown into chaos, this is your opportunity. And I know it, it feels like we've lost hope in our culture as people are turning away from the gospel left and right, but I have to believe what's happening in the text is true here this morning. That when our culture and our society around us are turning away from the gospel, this is an opportunity to spread the truth. This is an opportunity to bear witness. And I don't claim to know how this is going to happen, but I believe that God can work in our society today to bring people to salvation. And I know there are some of you here who are faithfully sharing the gospel. I want to encourage you to keep going. Keep bearing that truth to those around you. Believing that one day there is laid up for you a crown of righteousness believing that God will reward you for what you do here on earth, believing that God is with you. For those of you here this morning who have let your witness falter, I want to encourage you also. I want to encourage you to trust that God doesn't bring salvation because you have a perfect gospel witness. I want to encourage you here that you don't have to have all the right answers. 
You don't have to have all these truths memorized to be able to share the truth that Jesus rose from the dead, conquering over sin and death, that if anyone follows him, they will receive salvation. You don't have to have all the answers. Jesus said just that in verses 14 and 15. He said, settle it therefore in your minds not to mediate beforehand on how to answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom. Church, people aren't saved because of your gospel witness. They are saved because Jesus died on the cross for the brokenness of this world. Jesus is our salvation. And we can believe and hope that if we are faithful to bring the gospel to others, that if Jesus has salvation in mind for the people before us, he will bring that salvation. Jesus will save those he has called. We can trust him. So we need to bear witness. But as we are putting off fear, as we are enduring to the end, and as we are sharing the truth with those around us, There's one more important truth that Jesus calls us to in our text here this morning. This brings us to our final application. Application number four is to watch yourself. Jesus said it like this in verse 34. He says, watch yourself, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. What Jesus is telling us this morning is we do need to be concerned with the coming of the end. We do need to realize that the end is close at hand. But we don't need to realize this with fear and foreboding. We don't need to realize this with fear of what to come. We need to realize it with hope that Jesus is coming to take us home. And so we don't need to be weighed down by the concerns of the world around us. We don't need to be worried about what's happening in politics and the economy and our jobs and our livelihood. And certainly these things are important. Certainly these things have merit. But once we get weighed down with the world around us, we'll find ourselves losing sight of Jesus. Our call is a call to live in righteousness. No matter what's happening in the world around us, no matter how much chaos we see, no matter how much brokenness we walk through, no matter how much it feels like we are losing, we need to set our eyes on the coming of Jesus. Knowing that even now, even as our world is faltering and failing, Jesus is on his throne and he is coming. The book of Daniel testifies to this truth like this in chapter 7. Daniel says this, I saw in night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days, and he was presented before him. And to him was given a dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. Church, this is our hope. This is the reality that we live under here today. And that's why Jesus gives us these warnings here in our text, that we can cling to that hope, 
that we can know that even now, even right here today, no matter what's going on in your life, no matter what struggles you are wrestling with, no matter what despair, no matter how much pain, Jesus is on his throne. And he is coming to bring this world to an end. All of it. And one day we will see the clouds open up to the, like a scroll and we will see the Son of Man descending. And we will know that it was all worth it because Jesus has triumphed over the brokenness of this world. Jesus has brought sin and death to destruction. And he is coming to take you home. Well, the world around us fears the coming of the end. We are called to long for it. We are called to hope in it. We are called to look for it and watch the way we live our lives today, knowing that Jesus is coming to take us home. Church, the end is near. That's our hope. And that's why we can live through the brokenness of this world. Let's pray. Lord, our hope is in you this morning. Not in governments or political powers. Not in our, our jobs or how we provide for our liveliness. Our hope is in you, Jesus. And you are coming back. God, give us hearts to trust you. To hope in you. To look for you. And to live every day like you are coming back. And you are coming back. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com.